Good morning, Abundant Life, Lee Summit, Independence, Blue Springs, all of you watching online, we are so glad that you're among us today. Luke chapter 12, we're studying one of the greatest sermons ever preached because it was preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. His name was Jesus in Luke chapter 12. And he was preaching in Luke 12 on generosity, one of the core values of Christianity and how we ought to think biblically about money. And that's what we've been doing through this series. Remember I told you the goal of this series is that we would learn to spend wisely so that we can live freely and give more generously by thinking biblically. I want to show you something this morning. I want to show you the home in which I grew up. I spent the first 18 years of my life in this house. This is where I grew up, right here in South Kansas City, 747 East 110th Street. My dad raised five children in this home, about 900 square feet, three bedrooms on a slab, no basement. Uh, for 41 and a half years, he left this house where he drove to Kansas City, Kansas, where he worked at Owens Corning Fiberglass on a loading dock. And he would load insulation onto 18 wheelers, and he did that for 41 and a half years. Now, as we get going, I only share this so, simply so you understand where I come from. A lot of you might think, well, Phil, you probably always had some money, or you, you, know, you came from you know, a pedigree. And you know, I, the, the truth is, I was born the son of a working man, a blue-collar man. And he, here's what's amazing about the many things I learned in this house that my dad taught me. Financial freedom is not dependent on how much money you have. It depends only on how much money you spend. That's it. I mean, here's my dad. Uh, and I got his permission to share this today. Here's my dad who worked 41 and a half years on a working man's wage. Yet he hadn't had a mortgage since the 1980s. He never had a car payment his whole life. And for the last 20 years, he has been retired and has not had to work a day in his life for money because he learned how to work for his money, but he learned how to make his money work for him. And I hope in some way this inspires you because a lot of people think, well, I could be free financially if I just had more money. And I want you to see that if you don't learn what it means to be free and how to be free, you won't be free even if God gave you more money. See, you can change your position, but you need to change your disposition. Dave Ramsey actually had the largest study ever on American millionaires. He surveyed 10,000 American millionaires. Now, most of us think, well, people with money always had it or it was given to them. But what he discovered is that 80% of American millionaires receive no inheritance whatsoever. They are completely self-made. Not only that, he discovered that only 16% of American millionaires received an inheritance of more than 100,000, and only 3% of American millionaires received more than a million dollars in inheritance. Now, here's what's interesting. Of that 3%, half of them squandered their entire inheritance in the first 18 months. And see, this is an illustration that you can change your position, but if you don't change your disposition, you'll go back to the original position, meaning if we don't learn to find contentment, it won't matter how much you have, it will never be enough. And that's what I learned from my dad, contentment. It says uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for surely we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we will take nothing out of the world. It begins with a disposition of contentment. And this is what I want you to see, church. Your future is to find one decision at a time. It's true of us all. Every decision is like money. You get it back with interest. 
And so you need to think with the end in view. What is the vision you have for your life in 20 years? Where do you wanna be in 20 years? You have a vision, there's your destination. Now here's the deal, your every decision sets you on a direction that's gonna lead you to your destination. See, my dad lived with the end in view. He was preparing all along the way for 40 years. And because he made those decisions, he got it back literally with interest, so he hadn't had to work in the last 20 years. And it's true of our church. Sometimes people think, well, abundant life has just always been here. I mean, look at it. No, it hasn't always been here. We've been making one decision after another for 20 years with the end in view, the destination in view. And that should be all of us as Christians. We should all live in view of the destination and make every single decision in view of the destination. What is the destination? Luke 12, 31, here it is. Jesus said, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What is our destination as Christians? The kingdom. Church, there is coming a kingdom that will be without end, it will be without sin, and as a born-again child of God, you're a member of that kingdom. Jesus is the king, and there's coming a day that Jesus is gonna return. Paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained. That will be the end, but the end is only the beginning. We need to make every single decision in view of that day that we stand before Jesus and we see him. And that's why he's teaching Luke chapter 12 on stewardship, that we're simply to see our lives as managers, that he alone is the master. He's the master of all that we have and all that we are. And one day we're gonna see him, and the master is gonna settle up a state. He's gonna settle up account with the stewards, that's you and me, getting out of ownership into stewardship, preparing for that day that we one day see him as he establishes his kingdom. And so I want you to think about your life personally what this looks like, what would be your dream, what would be your goals? This is the impossible campaign, and for two years, our theme is impossible. We're attempting impossible things, because Jesus said with man it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You may think it's impossible that I could ever be financially free. I am too far buried. No, I'm telling you today, it is possible, but decisions define destinations. And as we get going, remember, we're going to the next level. There's always a next step, and every time you step out, you step up. We're doing that as a church today, taking our next step. As we step out in faith, we're gonna step up, going to the next level of taking Jesus to new places to reach new people. And that's true of your family personally. The next step God brings into your life is a chance to step up and step out and go to the next level. Now, I think there's three things that God wants us to think about when, when we think about our money and, and, and financially, thinking biblically, all right? So the first one, the first level would be this right here. I think God wants us to enjoy money. I think God wants us to see money as something that it's okay to enjoy. And that's kind of the first level. That's the first step. God gives you money, not simply to provide for your necessities, but in some way bring you a sense of joy. Listen very carefully. God wants us to enjoy the reward of our work. God doesn't promise prosperity materially. He doesn't promise that if you follow Jesus, you're gonna have a six-figure income. My dad never did. But you see, my dad learned to live life abundantly as Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, even though he never made a whole lot of money. And I want you to see that it's okay to enjoy 
the rewards of your labor financially. It says this in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy the good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. And I'm telling you this because there's two extremes, I think, in modern Christianity that are both unbiblical. One extreme is over here, the prosperity theology that says if if you're really a person of great faith, God's going to bless you with a great income. God's going to bless you with material prosperity. And do you understand, there is no promise in the Word of God that applies to you any differently than other followers of the Son of God living in South Sudan or Peru at this very moment that's living in a state of abject poverty right? So the prosperity theology is in biblical. It's not a guarantee that you're going to be rich and thin and healthy and wealthy. No, life may be really hard. On the other hand, there's this other extreme over here that says if you're really spiritually minded, you know, you're going to live a kind of the minimalist lifestyle. You're going to live, um, you know, kind of in a, in a, in a place of poverty because that's more spiritual. No, that's not true at all. Remember, there's nothing evil about money, nothing sinful about money. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9 does not say money is the root of all evil. That's how most people quote it. What it says is the love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, money is not sinful. The idolatry of money is what is sinful. And I'm telling you this because there was a time in my life that honestly, I I lived with the scarcity mentality and I didn't want to spend any money. I could not enjoy anything because I was guilty if I spent any money. And I'm trying to relieve you of the guilt. Like, it's okay if you have a nice fancy house and God gives you the ability to live there. It's okay if you drive a nice fancy car. If God has given you that ability, don't be guilty. Just don't make it an idol. Don't fall into idolatry because that's when your possessions own you instead of you owning your possessions. In my case, there was a time like I had guilt. Like when I would spend some money, um, instead of saving it or tithing it, like I couldn't really enjoy it. My first vacation ever, Krista and I, I'll never forget. It's an unforgettable vacation for all the wrong reasons. Here we are, we're a young married couple. This is our first vacation ever. It's the mid-90s. Uh, we both kind of have our first jobs, entry-level jobs, and we don't have a ton of money, but together we've got some money to go on vacation, enjoy something, some time together. So we go down to the Midwest, middle-class capital of the world, Branson, Missouri. <laughs> now, at the time, I could have spent 35 bucks a night on a hotel, or I could spend 10 bucks a night on a campsite. I had the money to spend 35 bucks a night on a hotel. We're not talking about a really nice hotel, but we're talking about a bed with a shower and AC. You know, kind of some necessities, right, at least for me. No, I didn't want to do that because I'm too chintzy. I'm too tight. I'm going to feel guilty. I'm trying, I'm trying to go on vacation and make a memory without spending any money. So we're 10 bucks a night on a campsite. My, my wife was such a good sport, I'm telling you. It's amazing she did this looking back. So I didn't even spend the money on really nice camping equipment. I get everything secondhand. You know, it's the Ozark, so there's no dirt to drive the tent pegs into. It's all rock. Uh, We are laying there in the middle of the night on an air mattress that leaks. All right, so by 2 o'clock in the morning, there's no air separating us in the ground. 
Not only that, but the dog is barking incessantly, nonstop, all night long, next campsite over. Hoof, 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 hoof. We're both laying there wide awake. And then when it can't get any worse, a storm blows in. We spend the entire night in my truck. The next morning, can't find the tent anywhere. It has blown into the next county. I was so chintzy that we made a memory. We did, we made a memory. I'm just trying to relieve you that I was guilty about spending money. I was a saver. My dad taught me to save. I remember my dad saying one time, son, if I, if I knew how to make a million bucks, I'd be a millionaire. But since I'm not a millionaire, I'm just going to save my money. He taught me to save. Now, I want you to just keep it in balance. There's a difference between investing in your future and being a miser and a hoarder. All right? That's who I was in the early days. I didn't want to spend any money. And so I've decided, you know what, it's okay to enjoy some money. What brings you joy? If you have the money and God gives it to you, don't be guilty. For me, it's not cars. I, I'm not, I don't blame you if you like a nice car. You spend your money that way, I'll spend my money my way. So, you know, to me, a car is just a utilitarian. For me, I've decided uh, I'm gonna spend money on memories. And so after that vacation, I decide if we're gonna keep doing this, I'm not gonna be chintzy, and be wise, but we're gonna have to spend some money. So we did that every year. Our kids were growing up. We'd go on a nice vacation together. This is back in 08. We went to San Antonio, made a memory out in front of the Alamo. And we do this every year. They've grown up, they've gotten bigger. They brought more people into our family. This was a year ago in Arizona. See, to me, spending money on memories is money well spent. Those memories outlast anything else I could spend my money on. Uh, I haven't spent money on a big fancy house. Not that it's wrong if you did. Uh, for me, my joy comes in being outside, not inside. So my dream was to buy a farm, and I did. I live out on a farm in Cass County, Missouri, 22 miles from my front door to this front door. Uh, and it's awesome. My commute is better than yours. It's all cows and corn. That's my dream, okay? So I'm asking, what is your dream? I mean, where do you want to be in 20 years? How do you want to live? You have to position yourself to do that because it's the law of the harvest. Every single decision is a seed that will one day bear fruit. You will get a return on every decision that defines your direction and that takes you to your destination. My dad didn't just wake up one day and be financially free enough to retire and not have to work the rest of his life. That didn't just happen randomly. He didn't just get lucky. He thought intentionally with the end in view. How about you? Now listen, money is not just meant to be enjoyed, but I'm giving you permission. You don't need my permission, but if you need permission, enjoy going on vacation this summer. Spend some money. Don't go in debt to do it. I've already told you, if you can't pay for where you've been, you can't pay for where you're going. I personally save for vacation all year long. I do the Dave Ramsey thing, and I have an envelope full of cash. I still do that. And that's how I save for vacation all year long. I'm going to pay cash for what I do, but I plan ahead to do that. And we're going to enjoy a vacation, a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. I've had two years to save for this one because of COVID. It got canceled last year. All right, so we're going to Maui this summer. Never done it before. Never thought I would. Yeah, I'm going in big. Here's the point. I'm going to enjoy. I've prepared. I'm not going in debt to do it. Enjoy what brings you joy. The world is hard enough. Life is hard enough. Find some joy where you can. Just don't go in debt and get upside down financially to do it. 
enjoy. But don't just enjoy. Money is meant to be deployed, or should say employed. Uh, You have to learn to employ your money, not just enjoy your money. Because if all you do is enjoy your money, eventually you'll be out of money. You've got to learn to employ your money. And that is the next level as you think biblically, financially, about uh, money. Listen, you work for your money, but you've got to learn to let money work for you. Now, you're going to work hard all of your life. My dad worked for 41 and a half years, showing up to the same job, to the same warehouse, getting on a forklift, loading insulation onto 18 wheelers. He did that for 41 and a half years. He went to work for money, but what he did was learn to let his money work for him too. And that's what I'm telling you. It's not enough just to work for it. You gotta let it work for you. Now, I can't say this enough. There is no shortcut to freedom. We live in an age where everybody wants to be free financially, and it's an age where we foster this entitlement mentality, and I'm trying to tell you, there are no shortcuts to success. There are no shortcuts to freedom. Everybody thinks they're gonna be the next YouTube sensation. Yeah, it's gonna be me. I'm gonna be the next YouTube sensation. I'm gonna have a million followers, and advertisers are gonna flock to me. Maybe, but probably not. Chances are, young person, you're in college, you're not going to come out of college and get your first company car with that first job and a six-figure income. You're probably going to have to work your way to the top. Good old-fashioned hard work. And you understand that is what the Bible teaches. Look at what it says here in 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Here's what the Bible is teaching. Being lazy is not compatible with Christianity. What he's saying is that if you're able-bodied, if you're able to work, you have a responsibility to go to work. Yet we live in a society that fosters this entitlement mentality. We think we're entitled to things we haven't worked for. We think we're entitled to things we haven't earned. And what God says is, "Uh uh-uh, You're entitled to that which you've worked for. If you haven't worked for it, you're not entitled to it. Now listen, I know that last year, millions of Americans lost their jobs to COVID. And there are people here that are still out of work and you're looking for work and right now you would do anything to get back to work. I'm not talking to you. This is not about you. If you're not working but you'd like to work, you're trying to work, you're looking for work, God's not talking to you at this moment, but if the clue phone is ringing, pick it up. (laughs) I have talked with multiple small business owners in the last two weeks. You know what they're telling me, Pastor Phil? I can't get people to come back to work. We can't find workers. Post-COVID, we can't get people to come back to work. The restaurant industry can't be, and other small businesses, I mean, the workers I had won't come back to work. We're drawing unemployment. They could work, but they won't work because it's easy not to work. Do you understand that that is not compatible with Christianity? If you need to draw unemployment, there's a reason it's there. If you need to come back here and use our food pantry, 40,000 people did a year ago. We gave away 1.2 million pounds of groceries. There's times that you need a help out, but that's different than a handout. 
Hey, this is generosity, a series on generosity, a core value of Christianity is helping those who don't have by giving away some of what we do have. That's biblical, but listen carefully. This entitlement mentality we're fostering as a society, there is a payday someday, and nothing is free. This is the age where it's free, everything's free, it ought to be free. No, you just decide who you're gonna pay. Because <laughs> you're gonna pay somebody. There's nothing free. Everything costs something. To Sean Avery is our student pastor. I love to Sean. I've watched him grow up. I mean, he's become a man. I'm so proud of Tashan. Done a great job leading our student ministry. So I was talking to him about this principle this past week. He told me about his mom. Tashan was raised by a single mom. His dad died early in his life, sometime around middle school. And Tashan told me, you know what, my mom never let me be a victim, never let me play the victim. So I was 19 years of age, and I was gonna go file for unemployment. And my mom looked at me and said, you can do that if you want to do that, but you ain't living here. That's my kind of mama. Yeah, you want to be lazy? You can be lazy, but you ain't living here. You're able-bodied. Get to work, son. That's the principle the Bible teaches. You, you don't have a right to expect something for which you have not worked. Now listen, it's not enough just to go to work and work for your money. You've got to let your money work for you. That's what my dad did. That's how he became financially free on a working man's income. He never made a six-figure income. He probably never made 50000 a year in his whole lifetime. Yet he learned not just to go to work for money, but for his money to work for him. And I learned a lot about that growing up right here in this home, in this house. Uh, I remember as a little boy, the phone ringing in the afternoon, and sometimes it would be my dad. My mom would get off the phone, and she would say, well, your, your dad's not coming home. He's working an extra shift. It happened all the time. He'd work 16-hour days in a warehouse loading insulation onto an 18-wheeler. Uh, I'll never forget, in a home like this, you can hear everything. And what I know growing up is every single morning at 5.45 a.m., I would hear the alarm go off. I would hear my dad get out of bed, and exactly at 6.05 a.m., I would hear him open the front door, kiss my mom goodbye, and he did that for 41 and a half years. He taught me something about work and the value of work, but he also taught me about how to help money work for you. You have to have the end in view. Uh, my dad knew eventually there was gonna be a day that he would walk away. He did, he was ready. Uh, in our case, Chris and I used to drive around as a young couple. Well, you know, everybody has a dream. It's okay to have a dream for your life that's not necessarily eternal. You should live in view of eternity daily. That's living with the end in view seriously, but it's okay to have some temporal dreams too. You know, in our case, our dream, I wanted to live on a farm. I know that's weird for some, but that was my dream. My, my grandpa had a farm. Some of my greatest memories growing up was on the farm, and uh, we would drive around in those early days of our marriage, and we would dream, you know, as we drive around the country, I'd love to live in that kind of a place, wouldn't you, honey? Yeah, I'd love to live there someday, wouldn't you? We would do that. Well, guess what? Today, we're living the dream. This is the dream. 
uh, I pulled in this past week, and the red buds were in full bloom, and it was a bluebird sky, and it was absolutely gorgeous with the dogwoods in bloom, and I thought, you know what, this is why we moved here. Out of the way places, a quiet place in the middle of this chaotic world, that, 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 that was our dream. Now, you fill in the blank, what's your dream? Now, here's what I want you to see. We lived with the end in view. We didn't just get here. This took 25 years to get there. Remember, your destination is always defined by your decisions. It didn't start here, it ended here. It actually started here. This was the first house Krista and I lived in for the first four years of our marriage. For the first four years of our marriage, we lived in a rental, we had an out-of-state landlord that wouldn't fix anything. By the time we moved out of here, I was literally duct-taping plastic to the inside of the shower because the shower walls had fallen in, all right? Now, why did we do that? Because we had a plan. We lived here for 375 a month, and the plan was that we would live on my income and we would completely save my wife's income. I made 25,000 a year, she made about 30,000 a year, and we saved every dime she made for four years, minus tithe and taxes. So by the end of four years, we'd saved about $75,000. I want you to see something. Anybody here can do this. If you're a young couple, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. If you will live less in your 20s and 30s, you will live more in your 40s and 50s. Okay? That's, that's the key. You reap what you sow. The seeds you sow today, I don't just mean financially, I mean metaphorically, the decisions that you sow are seeds that you get a return on with interest someday. So we chose to live less in our 20s and 30s to live more in our 40s and 50s. We couldn't have gone to Hawaii in our 20s, but we can now because we made those decisions along the way. We lived with the end in view, the destination. Where do we want to be someday? It was in this house that we were able to live at $375 a month on rent. It allowed us to save her money and live just on my money. And at the time, guys, you know, I had a lot of friends on the police department. I was a young cop and, uh, you know, hung around with a lot of other couples in the PD, and they'd all make fun of us. I mean, my friends would kind of like, you know, Phil, why do you live there? You know, you could buy a nice house. And they were all buying these new homes because they both had mom and daddy working, two incomes. They could afford them. But the problem was because they did that, they made a decision that would put them in a place where they had to have two incomes for the rest of their life. So I would just smile, I wouldn't say anything because deep down I knew I had a plan. I've got a plan. And after four years, what happened? We started a family. Krista came home. That was part of the plan. She was going to come home and raise our children in the home so she didn't have to work because we never positioned ourselves to need both incomes. We positioned ourselves just to need one income so we could make that decision. About that same time, I made sergeant. I got a $20,000 a year pay raise overnight. But check it out. We didn't change a thing. We didn't change our lifestyle. Just meant I didn't have to work a second job. And about two years after that, this little church in Lee Summit called me to be their pastor, and I took a $20,000 a year decrease in pay. <laughs> now, why could I do that? I'll tell you why, because I didn't spend it when I had it. I didn't change a thing. I could afford to take a $20,000 decrease 
because I hadn't lived like I got a $20,000 increase. Think about it. Your destination is defined by decisions. I might not even be the pastor here today if I'd put ourselves in a position where we needed that money to live. Now, I want you to see, we bought that first house. This is how it works, to make your money work for you. We bought that first house, put a $25,000 down on a house that we bought for $100,000. We mortgaged $75,000. We took the rest of that money, $50,000, began investing it, saving it, and that was the nest egg that we still have today that has grown over 20 years later, okay? Now, we moved out of that first house after eight years. We bought it for 100,000, sold it for 140,000. That allowed us to get into the second home we built on 40 acres out in Cass County. We lived there for 10 years. When we moved out of that home, it also had appreciated by 40%, and that is how we could afford the farm. That's how it works. One decision at a time. You get that decision back with interest. It's the law of the harvest. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, living with the end in view. And I'm telling you, this story can be you. And I know people say, well, Phil, I I heard this last week. I wish I'd have heard this 20 years ago. As if it's too late for me now. It is not too late for you. It's never too late to start somewhere. It's never too late for you to begin living with the end in view, creating margins so you can begin to get financially free. We have done this as a church. Listen, for 20 years, what have we done? One decision after another, one step after another, to be on the brink of launching three campuses in the next year. I'm talking a expanding footprint for the gospel. It's the very same way. It's the law of the harvest. One decision after another. Those decisions eventually come back to you with interest, with compound interest. And that is why it's not enough simply to enjoy your money or even employ your money. Listen, the next level is learning to deploy your money. And we need to learn how to not only enjoy it and employ it, but also fully deploy it because we're in the middle of what amounts to a battle for a kingdom. Our dollars are like soldiers. Deploy your dollars to advance the kingdom. Remember, as members of God's kingdom, we are here for one reason, to advance the kingdom before the king. Jesus will come one day and establish that kingdom that will be without end. The Bible tells us the restoration of all things. There's coming a day that he's gonna overcome all the curse of all the sin upon all of creation. But that is not the end. There is a kingdom then that will be without end. And if we really believe that one day we're gonna stand before Jesus, then what that means is I need to do more than enjoy my money. I need to do more than employ my money. I need to deploy the money into matters that last forever, the things of heaven, the souls of men and women that will be without end. And I want you to think about this. I'm, I'm at the age now where I think about things I didn't used to. Like, I'm not that old. That wasn't meant to be funny. I don't know why you're giggling. That wasn't a joke. I'm not that old, but I'm not as young as I used to be. And what that means is you realize at some point along the way, life is coming quicker and the end is nearer than you ever could have fathomed, you ever could have imagined. Here I am, I'm thinking about what happens after I'm gone leaving something 
that's still going to be advancing the mission long after I'm gone. Uh, and, I, and I positioned my life to do that. Like if I died today, suddenly, our church would stand to receive a great big check. Really, if I died. So yes, thinking now beyond your life, deploying your dollars long after your life. Uh, if I die today and you come to my funeral and you see Krista sitting here on the front row with a big smile, because <laughs> she's going to get a big check too. She hates it when I say this. I do it anyway. So yes, thinking now beyond your life. How do you want your life to impact others even after your life is gone? A lot of us think about deploying dollars as just cash, your cash assets, but there's other ways to deploy your dollars. Um, if you want to know more about this, there's something called the Signatory. This is an organization that helps people give assets that aren't cash. We're talking real estate assets, house assets, for example, maybe stocks. There are ways you can do this to minimize your tax and uh, maximize your generosity. Evan Lang is a member of our church, and uh, he would love to talk and show you how to do this. And you can reach him at 816-377-5800. But this positions you, in some cases, to deploy dollars that don't impact your cash assets. And this is what Jesus was teaching when he said these words in Luke 12, 32, do not fear. Church, why is it that sometimes we don't deploy our dollars? We don't mind enjoying our dollars. We like what happens when we employ our dollars, but it's hard sometimes to deploy our dollars because it's that scarcity mentality. Will I have enough left for me? And this is why Jesus is saying, don't fear, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. His promise is that when we seek first to advance his kingdom, and his kingdom is our priority, he will take care of our necessities. And I can promise you, in my life, he has always been true to his promise. Over and over again. He says, don't fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. Do you understand that when the empires of this world have faded away and are in decay, there is a kingdom coming someday that will last forever? Why would we trade our little kingdoms made of dirt when we could have a kingdom that's gonna last forever? See, that's the destination that should define our every decision. Now he goes on, he says this, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, it's about having treasure in heaven and not simply on the earth. And Jesus was teaching that our dollars equal destinies and become treasure eternally when deployed in the kingdom priorities. It's having treasure eternally, not just wealth temporarily, but treasure eternally. And that's what we're doing now as a church. We're taking our next step to go to the next level. What we have done for 20 years, taking our next step to go to the next level, to take Jesus to new places, to reach new people, and it's what we've done for 21 years and running. I wanna give you a 20-year history of our church in the next three minutes. You ready? 
Okay, here it is. Here's where it all began in this little brick building 20 years ago, right down the street from what is now our Lee Summit campus. A little brick building sat less than 100 people. We bought a house next to it. That was our first kid's wing. Had kids coming out of the kitchen cupboards, kids coming out of the bedroom closets. That's where we had our kids' ministry. We broke ground on our first building, moved down to SCA, Summit Christian Academy. We met down there for about 10 months while we broke ground on that first building that's now our office building. It's our admin building. And while that building was going up, we were meeting at Summon Christian Academy in the cafeteria. And that's where we had services. These were pioneering days that demanded great faith, days that were risky, that didn't come with a guarantee. That's the nature of all faith. You must attempt those things that are impossibilities. We moved into that first building in June of 2003. We realized we're quickly going to outrun this building, so we needed a kid's wing. And that's what we did then in 06. We broke ground on that first kids wing. That is now our wellness center, our counseling center. and began to dream about reaching the youth, the students of our area. And we built the core. The vision was 7 million in 70 months. We want to completely pay off the kids wing and the core and begin positioning ourselves to build this building in Lee Summit. That's what we did in 2012. We got completely debt free. We started saving capital, saving cash to put down on this building. What this building in Lee Summit did was let us expand the foundation so that we can build a tower to reach higher, shine brighter. If you want a tower to reach higher and shine brighter, you got to build the foundation wider. And because we widened the foundation, now we can go full throttle into this vision of multiplication. Three years ago, in one day, we raised the money for the food pantry that gave away last year 1.2 million pounds of groceries and ministered to families all over our city. 1.2 million dollars in one day. You guys gave generously so that we didn't go back to the bank. And then we began to dream about reaching Blue Springs, where a lot of our church was driving from. And we renovated a strip center where they are now meeting. We sent about 400 people from Lee Summit to Blue Springs. And on day one, that 400 became 1,000. Many people there now that were not in the church just two years ago. And then we merged with Emmanuel and Independence, a church that was about to close its doors. And now the gospel is being preached once again. We need to renovate that building, but the most beautiful thing that is happening is a resurrection, a move of God taking place now in independence, and now we're going to the crossroads of Kansas City, Missouri. We have bought two buildings at 1840 and 1822 Cherry. We are now renovating these buildings to take Jesus to the least reached part of our city, to reach the least reached generation in the history of our nation. I'm talking about the millennial generation taking Jesus to new places to reach new people, and we're going to keep doing it every single year after, over and over and over again. We are doing today what we've done over and over again. We are taking another leap of faith. That's what it takes, not playing it safe. And so today, I'm asking you to do what we've done over and over again to give generously, sacrificially. We're praying today for a $2 million offering. It's gonna help us start renovating the Crossroads facility, building the infrastructure on online campus. Do you understand we have more people engaging online every week from all over the country than we will ever have on site at a brick and mortar building. That's the potential now God has given us. It's gonna take some money to finish renovating 
the Emmanuel building. It was an older building. That's what we're doing with this offering for the souls of men, for the souls of women. Church, I've said this over the years. I'll say it again if you've never heard me say it. Pastor Phil does not know who gives what financially at our church. I've never asked. I don't want to know. I don't want money to change me. I'm just a man. I could be changed by money. I don't want money to change me, so I don't ask. I don't know. I don't want my opinion of you to change. Most of all, I don't want you to wonder what I'm going to say when you see me coming. I'm a pastor, not a fundraiser. I want nothing less than your complete success. I'm not trying to get anything from you. And I am trying to say this between you and Jesus, not you and me. I will not know who gives and who doesn't. What I do know is we could not be where we are as a church without thousands of people giving for the last 20 years, generously, sacrificially. And for that, I say thank you, thank you. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now. Over at Blue Springs Independence, would you join us there online, wherever you are? If you can, just stand. I wanna raise my hands to the heavens. Would you join me? The universal sign of surrender, Jesus, Today, we, the bride and body of Christ, at Abundant Life, surrender all that we have for all that you are, to live with the end in view, the destination of the kingdom, knowing that one day we're gonna stand before the king as managers of all that belongs to the master. God, help us to be good stewards, generous stewards, to give away what you've given us to redeem the souls of men, the souls of women, to advance a kingdom that will be without end. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to come right now, bring your impossible card, place it in one of these buckets at the front, bring your impossible offering if you have it. I know a lot of you given online already. Krista and I have done this together. We prayed. Standing here a week ago, singing just as I am, or I surrender all, God doubled our offering. I knew he would. I was scared that he would. And he did. So I'm gonna ask you to come put yours with mine. And together, we're gonna do together what none of us could ever do apart. Let's sing as we do.
open-handedly, wholeheartedly, I pour my life out to you as an offering. Open-handedly, wholeheartedly, I pour my life out to you as an offering. Open-handedly, wholeheartedly, I pour my life out to you as an offering. Church, I love you so much. I'm so deeply, deeply thankful for each of you. We once again are gonna stand in awe of what God is gonna do. Amen. Two years from now, we're behind us and we're gonna go, I don't know how God did it again, but he did. This is the power of the unity of the body, the supernatural synergy of doing impossibilities, dreams become realities. And I'm so thankful that you're part of our vision to advance the kingdom that will be without end. Have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you. Give Jesus the